is Courtney, right? It is Courtney. Very nice to meet you, Courtney. It is nice to meet you as well, Emily. Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brame. Something Positive for Positive People highlights the interconnectedness of sexual health and mental health. Um, we are also a 501c3 nonprofit organization that prioritizes the efforts of getting people connected to mental health resources who are struggling most with their STI diagnosis and stigma. Today's guest is coming to us all the way from the future, and by the future, I mean Australia. Uh, she <laughs> is, let me see, it would be 12 hours, it would be my 8 o'clock, if it was 1 o'clock at 6 o'clock, 12, plus 12, minus 5. So, plus 12, minus 5. You are, wait a minute, I noticed, it's 3 p.m. where you are. Oh, close, you are half an hour out. Oh. 2.30. 2.30? <laughs> It's 7.51 p.m. here. That's weird. So we got minutes, too. Like, it, I thought it was just hours. So it's hours and minutes. <laughs> it might be It might be because we have daylight savings here during summer, so our time um, changes a little bit. Boom. It's very confusing. We have that, too. Uh, it's in, like, March and November or something like that. Spring and fall, close to winter. I don't know. Um <laughs> You asked me right before I hit record, <laughs> as I'm hitting record, you asked me, how'd you get into podcasting? Uh, <laughs> I, can, I can answer that here. I don't know that I've shared this uh, enough on the podcast for people who might be new listening, but I started this podcast actually in 2017, and I began interviewing people who were living with herpes about their experiences uh, from diagnosis to disclosure simply because there were people who were in some of the support groups that I was involved with uh, that wanted to kill themselves after their diagnosis. And so in recording these conversations or interviews, whatever we'd want to call them before it actually became a podcast, I used to just send it to people directly. And over time, there were little frustrations like a typo in an email, something going to a spam folder, um, or them just not getting it somehow. So I decided to just post it into one place, which was just the podcast feed. And um, as I continued to do these interviews and share them, more and more people wanted to get involved. So as more people got involved, it just developed into what has now become something positive for positive people. I just think it's so cool. I, there wasn't anything that I could find when I was first diagnosed, which I'll talk about more soon. Um, but that was in about 2014, 2015. Um, and I just felt really alone, you know, and, and anywhere that I looked online, it just told me the scariest and most craziest things um, and, you know, horrific images. <laughs> and for me, I sort of stopped Googling because I thought, oh, my God, this is just terrifying. And um, I just think it's such an important thing that you're doing because looking back now with the value of hindsight, I'm able to see the severe impact that it had on my mental health at the time. Um, and I'm fortunate I was never, I never experienced suicidal ideation, um, but I can absolutely see why people do. And I just think that, you know, there's so much stigma around herpes in particular that it's understandable that we sort of turn that hatred onto ourselves because we are 
taught as a society to have that kind of that feeling towards these conditions and it's like herpes in particular at the end of the day it's a skin condition man like it's, it's like we don't yeah we don't get mad at people for having acne like it's just a thing that we have with our body so i um, was explaining to you earlier i am late to the party i only discovered you last night through falling down a little instagram wormhole <laughs> wormhole but it was really refreshing to see and i i thought oh my gosh i wish i had had this when i was first diagnosed and i just think that it's a wonderful thing that you're doing so thank you i appreciate that and it's been really I guess this is a good place to talk about it. Um, I find myself very conflicted. I'm currently reading a book called, uh, what is the name of it? it? It's I'm not reading it. It's an audio book. So I'm listening to it. Uh, it's called Forces for Good. And it's called The Six Practices of High Impact Nonprofits. And I'm listening to them talk about Teach for America, uh, self-help, and these organizations that do these things so well. And as I'm listening, he's not talking about the things that I felt a need to put an emphasis on, such as fundraising, how much money's coming in and going out. It's more about the impact. And the impact is something that people, pro- you, you can't put that on paper. You can't have processes and the systems like those kinds of things will come. But these, the way that the organizations are run, like I've often felt, a a sense of guilt for not doing a better job of tracking everything or for not having this set up to where if I die tomorrow, it can go on. And it was super validating to hear in this book that these uh, these top nonprofits are doing the same things that I'm doing. Like I'm doing all of the things that make for successful nonprofits except there is one element and he's touching on this This is the last one it's getting the community involved and when he said that i was like shit because of (laughs) stigma it's really tough to get people to rally behind this and be excited about it and talk about how impactful something positive for positive people has been for them like i get the messages i get the emails but i don't get what most of these other nonprofits get which is that uplifting and support and shares on social media because of people's genuine fear of being associated with an organization that helps people with herpes right because then i guess that brings up the question within people's social circles well, why are you involved with this? How did you get involved with this? And people are genuinely afraid of being associated with herpes in such a way. And I I think that this is really interesting because for you, your occupation, you mentioned specifically that you don't want to use your real name and that your career uh, has something uh, tied in with your ability to be as vocal as you want to be because you want to be you want to be able to say to the i don't know how much detail you want to go into but to the people that you would be speaking to in regards to education you want to be able to share your experience but you can't do that yeah it's 
it's very difficult. And I think, um, you know, for me, the stigma was a huge part of why I struggled with my diagnosis. And, yeah, it is hard. I would like to be more involved than I am. But, unfortunately, the social, the societal pressures, you know, it could potentially impact on my um, career. And so, yeah, it's it's frustrating because you're right. Like, there's so many of us people that would say, like, oh, you know, Courtney, it's been so helpful, but I can't openly do a testimony about that because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And everyone has their own reasons. But, yeah, I guess, I mean, do you want me to talk about um, how I was diagnosed and what my... we Yeah, we'll, we'll get into everything. I just want you to, I want you to yeah. feel like this is just a conversation. So, I mean, <laughs> typically, I think that I've covered all the ways people can get diagnosed. You have symptoms, you go in for uh, to figure out what's wrong, and bam, you get hit with a diagnosis. So... I don't think that's near as important as first the reason that you reached out and then here like now that we're in this part of the conversation with the timing um I was gonna make a podcast episode about this well actually this is funny and I think that uh the the universe whatever higher power people who may be listening believe in has a way of like sending messages so as I was listening to this book earlier, um, that was when you reached out to me and I screenshot it because I was going to not screenshot your message, but I screenshot the yeah. audio book and I was just making yeah. a post. And in the post, uh, I was just kind of talking about like, wow, you know, I realized that what I just said to you about how people would love to be more involved. They wish they could be more involved, but they just can't. And I mean... I look at the numbers of podcast downloads and I make the ask for donations. I make the ask for connections and introductions and involvement and advocacy. And the numbers don't quite make sense for so many people to listen and for so few people to contribute or find their way into getting involved. Because like I tell people, like whenever I'm speaking to someone and we'll have a conversation and, you know, I'll support them in disclosing, I'll always offer like, hey, you know, if you can consider making a donation, consider being a guest on the podcast. And I've spoken to um, probably at this point a handful of people who like I've paid for to get therapy and I can't even get a phone call from them to hear about how it went. <laughs> and so I think that in my share of that post, that was going to come off more as venting than a call for action. So the post didn't go through and it was long as shit. Like I made this really long post just talking about how, you know, how there were some achievements in there, how something positive for positive people. In 2019, I raised twelve hundred dollars. In 2021, during a pandemic, I looked at the Excel sheet that I keep and I raised twenty six thousand dollars. So to go from that in 2019 to this in 2021 in a pandemic, like, it, it, it really is. And that's all thanks to. You know, it's not about the quantity of people that get involved. It's the quality. So those $10, $20 donations here and there, those people who connect me to speaking opportunities, sexual health conferences, the people who've done podcast interviews with me who are uh, able to share with people. And just like these, there's just this 
massive network that we are all energetically connected to through our herpes diagnosis and some of those like connections uh hit it off and then bam there's something that happens and i've been so caught up in wanting to make something positive for positive people successful as a nonprofit that i've overlooked what's been right here in front of my face going on the impact the impact is there even if it is in the form of a whisper and i know that for me this is where i'm venting at now at this point this is the vent uh i've been in relationships i've been in partnerships and uh working alongside people who i've felt a need to dumb myself down or dim my own light because this is what i do like i even i caught it yesterday so yesterday i was over a friend's house and she had a date over and her friend asked me what i did and my friend left the room and we met through this podcast me actually interviewing her and when her friend asked me i knew she hadn't disclosed to her yet i was like oh shit i work <laughs> in mental health and I, I caught myself doing that and there was something in me that was just like why the fuck did you do that and so to have like replayed that i thought about all of the other times i've done something like that like i'm at a place right now where i have been like projected or I've had like shame projected onto me or I've had this internalized stigma show up in a much different way to where I want the people around me to be comfortable and in wanting the people around me to be comfortable how much am I limiting the growth potential of something positive for positive people because the people that I'm quiet for aren't loud for me and it's looking like I'm the only person that's going to be able to be as loud as I can be about the fact that, yes, this organization interconnects sexual health and mental health, but it started as suicide prevention resource for people with herpes. Herpes is going to be something that is always entangled with something positive for positive people, no matter how often or how hard I try to make the shift exclusively into mental health to increase the range of people who can get involved of allyship of the people who um, uh, create this sense of comfort for people and in therapy like the way that this played out is also with my therapist having told me he cut me off mid-sentence when i was saying i feel like i have to like dial it back or dumb it down or not say you know what I do for the comfort of partners and people around me. He cut me off mid sentence and was like, "That's not your responsibility." You know, if people don't want to be around you in that capacity, then that's that's on them. That's not for you to do. So I can say, "Yeah, I run this nonprofit paying for people with herpes to get therapy." It is so much easier yeah. to say that than it is to work around technicalities and then for people to ask, "Well, how'd you get into that?" I can just say, yeah, I got herpes. And when I got it, I found that there were people who wanted to kill themselves. So I wanted to help. It's as simple as that. But I've tried to make this so complicated. And in the complications and complexities, I've made an effort to uh, or that's that's where those symptoms of burnout come from and compassion fatigue, because it's not an external frustration with other people like, yeah, I need help. I need support. And I know where to go for that. So I even approached my board members. I sent a long email that was like, hey, if you don't want to be here, like 
don't be here if you want to be here this is what the expectation is going to be moving forward so this this book man just like listening to this book and being validated that i am in fact doing everything right except for holding myself back with how i i'm trying to change for other people rather than continue to do what what got me here and when i was able to see it numerically on paper and listen to this book 1200 to 26000 and then listening to this book say you want to just have the impact it's more important to do the work than it be done right like these were all things that resonated with me so the timing of you when you reached out and we sort of began our discussion today and then it went into um like your inability to share given your business i was able to connect that with wow you know i know people who work with children for sure um just because of how parents may feel about it or institutions where you staff people who work with children and that's one way that it can impact your income so um i'm now that i've talked for 10 minutes uh i want to know you know what what is some of the I want to understand more because I have an idea. Kids are cruel, first off, and then parents are ignorant. It's just ignorance to put it as simple as possible. So what is it that keeps you from being as vocal or open as you would like to be, even for the sake of helping the people that you serve from a sex education standpoint? I think that there are a few sort of elements to this. Um, The first one is probably... Um, actually from a legal standpoint. So here in Australia, as part of working with children, we have to do a course called um, Responding to Abuse and Neglect. And then that's our like, mandatory notification training. So if we see any symptoms of um, the children in our care, you know, being neglected or abused either emotionally, physically, sexually, all the different types of abuse um it's our responsibility legally to notify somebody and to get that checked out for their own safety and so sometimes because of that sort of element of it particularly with sexual education um it's quite rigid in what we're allowed to discuss and how we are allowed to discuss it in the sense that you know in most classrooms you have children who have experienced trauma in some way and so it's also about keeping them emotionally and physically safe while you're teaching so you don't want to share anything that might be triggering for them and a good way to avoid that is to ensure that everything that we're speaking about is in this sort of third person narrative it's not personal so um even when the children are asking questions, quite often it's in a way that's written down on paper and then I will answer it in the next session so that it's completely anonymous. Um, you know, and like I, I give everybody a piece of paper at the end of the session and say, either write down a question or a fun fact for me. You know, so everyone's writing something, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I guess there's just a lot of focus on that. And then... Yes, there is also the element of judgment. I think that um, one thing that was made very clear to us when I was doing my um, university education, when I was at college, I guess, um, was that 
teachers are held to a higher standard. So um, when I then moved for work, I moved about 500 kilometres away from a um, like the capital city. I live in a regional area. So it is a smaller town and basically everybody knows everybody. Uh, and we were told in no uncertain terms that as members of the general public, we would still be known as teachers and therefore we would be held to a higher standard. And I think that it's it's a double-edged sword because I am glad that parents and families hold their educators to a higher standard. I think it's important that, you know, we set a good example for the children in our care and that helps us to be safe people for the kids that need us to be. And, I mean, let's be honest, all kids need us to be, really. Um, but at the same time, it sometimes doesn't allow us to be human. So um, we have to be very aware, um, particularly when you are a graduate, that you are all, you're sort of always on, I guess. Um, you know, it's, it's not been unusual for me to be at the supermarket doing my shopping and run into a parent and have an informal parent-teacher conference. Like, you know, <laughs> it just happens. Um, and so you do have to be aware that if you're setting that example for the kids when you're at school, you're also setting that example for the kids when you're down at the local pub, at the bar. You know, um, you, you need to be aware of that. So I felt a lot of pressure with that when I first started teaching, um, which was about five or six years ago now. And... So to the point where, like, I actually limited where I was even socialising more so into private spaces so that I could fully be myself and just, you know, let a few swear words out, all that kind of stuff, and not sort of go, who might have heard that? Um, and so I think there's a lot of pressure on us to be setting a good example all the time and then with the stigma of society, you know, openly saying, hey, I have a sexually transmitted disease isn't seen as setting a good example because they are seen as, you know, people who get that as sexually promiscuous and all this kind of stuff. Um, I've been really fortunate in my journey in that when I um, was initially sick, I actually was living in a share house situation and I said to my housemate, you know, I'd been struggling in pain for a couple of days by myself and I sort of said, oh, I think I got cut when I was having sex the other day and my housemate looked at me and sort of said, oh, okay, does it feel like this and does it feel like that? And because I tried to look and I couldn't see for myself, like it's a bit difficult sometimes <laughs> to see and I said, yeah, that's exactly what it feels like and she said, um, you need to get to the sexual health clinic straight away. Uh, I have herpes and it sounds like that's what you have. And so it was incredible to have the support of someone who I was living with who could sort of guide me through that. Um, and, you know, to say, you know, she said, like, the visit to the doctor will be quite painful, but it will be worth it because you can get the meds that you need to get better and all of this kind of stuff. Um, and for me, I was a late bloomer so I only actually started being sexually active when I was 24 and when I got sick with um, herpes I was 25 and I it was my third partner ever 
Um, and I think the thing that made me laugh at the time was I, I'm fortunate in, in Australia we have free sexual health clinics. So I went into the city. I had to wait for a few hours, but it was a completely free um, experience to get the test and to get the results and everything. And it was actually anonymous because um, it was in an area where sex workers will go in to have their testing done. So rather than having your name called out, you're given a number and things like this to protect everybody's um, anonymity, which I just think is amazing. Um, and but it's also a teaching clinic. So when I went in, the doctor said, oh, is it okay? I've got some student doctors with me. And out of habit, I said yes, because um, I've been involved in health situations in my childhood with my mum being sick for different reasons. And we always say yes, because it's great to have new doctors being taught. Um, but what that resulted in was <laughs> this first um, sort of, experience of being at a doctor I hadn't even had uh, I think I had one pap smear before this um and because we're not required to get them until you're sexually active in Australia so I really hadn't had anyone like looking down there all that much and I literally tripled my viewership in, uh, in one go because I had three people looking at it at once you know and I'm sort of there going this is just a bizarre situation <laughs> like how bizarre um but yeah I think um, it, I was so lucky to have the housemate that I had because I had a support network within my house um, and I could, you know, cry and, and say, like, oh, people made a joke today. Um, and I, I, myself, on reflection, like, one of my favourite lines from the first Hangover movie was the herpes joke. Like, I thought that was hilarious. And then once I had it, I was like, that's not funny. <laughs> I'm like, why didn't I, like, why did I ever think it was? Like how, it was always a joke at people's expense, you know. Um, I'm sorry, I've gone off on a tangent now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think that um, to answer your initial question, there, one of the first things I, t I disclosed to my mum straight away, when I was diagnosed, I called my mum. <laughs> I was in tears and she thought I was pregnant. <laughs> She's like, oh, my God, what's wrong? <laughs> Are you pregnant? And I was like, yeah, I've got herpes. And she's like, oh. And I could sort of hear her thinking, like, oh, is that all? Um, <laughs> but she was very, very um, kind at the time, but also from a different generation. So mum's um, – and she was also a teacher. It's the family business. Uh, mum's um, automatic advice was don't tell anyone. Just, you know, you don't – it's your business – other people don't need to know and you know that's also, that's totally true but also it's okay if you want to tell people you know and I think that sort of the first person that I told being like oh don't tell anyone kind of made me hesitate to disclose to some friends and family members um but I never hesitated with disclosing to sexual partners because I just felt that it it's not fair to them. I think everyone needs to go in um, to a sexual encounter fully informed and I don't think that you can give informed consent if you haven't disclosed an STD. So um, that's just my personal take on it. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was dating someone at the time. I told him he, I don't think, had a full understanding of herpes because um, I'm pretty sure... He is the person that I got it from, um, but he didn't have any 
symptoms. So I would have been asymptomatic shedding. I know that now, but he was like, but I don't have any sores or anything. Like you must've got it before. And then it's sort of come now. Um, and I think I stayed in that relationship for longer than I would have because he wasn't the best partner, but it was because I was like, well, I, he knows and it's safe. And I remember like the first time that we actually had sex after I had told him, I cried because I felt like I was this like unlovable, dirty human. And I say that in um, air quotes because it just simply wasn't true. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I was way too good for him. <laughs> like, I wish I could go back and tell myself that. Yeah. <laughs> and be like, girl, you deserve way better than him. He is a waste of your time. Um, so I think the thing that frustrated me was after my first sexual partner, I was still at, um, at uni and I went to the doctor at uni um, and said to them, like, I'd like to have a sexual health check. And he said, oh, how many partners have you had? And I said, one, but I have broken up with them and it was casual. So I don't know if I was seeing other people. They told me they weren't, but, you know, they might have been. And I would just like to be safe, you know, moving forward. And they said, well, have you always used condoms? And I said, yes. And they said, well, we don't really need to do a test then. Um, and I actually had to push and I was treated like a hypochondriac for wanting a sexual health screen. And that really frustrated me to the point where actually after I was diagnosed, I almost took like a perverse pleasure in going back to that doctor and going, by the way, I had herpes. <laughs> and he was like, oh, okay. I'm like, so if people are asking for a screen, it shouldn't matter how many partners they've had. Like, can you just give it to them? Like, this, this makes me, uh, this, this brings up a really good point because a concept that I am uh, speaking on is a more inclusive uh, version of STD prevention. I call it STI minimization, which includes the lived experiences of people who have tested positive for an STI before. And I, as you're talking, I'm like, wow, you know, first off, you know, being told not to tell anyone how we receive a diagnosis or how we receive our first disclosure often decides for us not only how we disclose moving forward, but if we choose to disclose moving forward. So there's that element. Then the condoms thing. Yeah, you had one partner who might have had other partners. You use condoms every time. I can't tell you how many condoms I done lost inside people and not realize it until later. You know what I mean? So for them to be like, all right, well, did you use condoms? All right, that's not a valid question anymore. And thank well, you for honestly, bringing that like, up. Sorry, that was my first reaction, actually. You know, getting the diagnosis, I'm called into the office and they said, oh, you've tested positive for HSV2, which is general. But literally, I said, but I always have used condoms. I thought I was it's safe sex. I thought I was safe. And it was only then that it was explained to me, oh, no, well, this is skin-to-skin -skin contact. So, you know, there's – so, and I, I sort of went, oh, my God. Like, I, I honestly thought that I had, you know, done everything, quote-unquote, right, that I had followed the rules, that I'd protected myself. Um, and I had. But there's also – this thing that you can get even if you do all of that stuff it doesn't happen just to people who have you know 
broken the rules and done the wrong thing. Um, and I, I think also it's important to note that, you know, my mum saying, oh, don't tell anyone. It wasn't from a place of shame. Like, she was saying that from a place of love. It was what she had been sort of, inter- what she had internalised from her generation was like, you know, oh, my gosh, like, I don't want anyone to um, look at you in a negative way. So, therefore, like, don't feel like you have to tell people this. Um, and I can see that that's why she said it. But at, at the time, I was in total agreement. I was like, no, I'm not going to tell it. Why would I tell anyone? Like, it was horrific to me. Um, <laughs> and I even, I, I lied to my friends. Like, I went straight to uni after my test. I couldn't sit down. I was in a lot of pain. And we were in a drama class at the time and everyone was sitting on the stage. And I said, I'll just stand for a bit. And um, one of my friends was like, oh, why? I said, oh, I just had a, a pap smear, a bit sore. You know, like, just went to, like, the sort of safe um, test to have had in that region. Um, and uh, actually one of, the, one of the other first people that found, found out found out my secret um was a friend who was in the course who was working at a chemist at the time and she sort of just looked at me and asked a couple of questions and I was like yeah I've got herpes and she's like I thought so <laughs> so and that it wasn't a huge thing for her either um which was really good so I I had this weird combination of like an older generation saying don't tell anyone and then one of my friends being like oh she was like, do you have any idea how many of those drugs we sell every single day? Like, it's not even a thing. And it's to every single portion of the gener- like, of the public. Like, it's just like, there's no, like, one type of person that comes in for those meds and um, all this kind of stuff. And then also having my housemate who had it. So I had this, like, combination of different reactions which I think was very positive for me. I think I was very fortunate with that. So that the don't tell anyone wasn't the only voice that I was hearing. Okay, good. Uh, Sex-wise, it sounds like your doctor was uncomfortable talking about sex. So it's not the fact that it's about your health. It's about the fact that it's about your sexual health. And you made a very clear point that I often ask people or I'll mention, you know, sexual health is mental health. And you spoke to that in a way that you were having sex with a partner and your status impacted the way that you process that connection and how your mental health was like you were crying. You were sad. You had all of these emotions that were happening inside of you because of it. And when doctors, when medical staff, they learn to understand that you're not speaking to exclusively someone's physical uh, health and behaviors, this is about more than that. So to just dismiss your request to have the peace of mind and mental safety that you needed to go into your next relationship like who knew that the doctors being asked for you to get a test done would be a barrier to getting testing done on the uh, we have the centers for disease control here in the united states and on their std prevention methods recommendations they say get tested and know your status 
And now to hear and know that you're being like, oh, well, why do you need testing? What do you need a test for? It should just be, I'm asking for this test. All right, well, here you go. Like, give me some general facts about it. Say, okay, well, you did you know that if you have one partner and you use condoms correctly every time, then your likelihood of having an STI is only limited to getting a herpes diagnosis or being exposed to herpes. That is a lot different than, well, how many partners do you have? Are you using condoms? Oh, well, if you're using condoms then you don't need to worry about getting tested. And that infuriates me because this is another barrier to people doing what the recommendations are. And it, it's like your experience is dismissed because you're trying to do your best to communicate, communicate with your healthcare provider and be able to communicate with whatever future partners. And not only that, but to have the peace of mind that comes with knowing what your STI status is. You can go into a new relationship with a baseline, a benchmark and know, okay, here's where I am going into this interaction. And if when you leave, you hope to be at that same place, but you could not be, but you have more control more mental safety and security in going into that interaction as well as coming out of it than you would if you hadn't oh yeah and it's the same here we're always told get tested the thing that blew my mind about that particular doctor was he was a great doctor in other ways by the way i'm not just going to sit here and like bash the doctor but um it was on my university campus so my college campus like this is a doctor that like, you would think that essentially their bread and butter would be sexual health in that setting. You know, it was a university that had, like, on-campus housing. And, um, you know, I know from – I lived off-campus, but I know from friends that lived there, they had a good time, you know. So <laughs> I think that this was partly why I was so blown away. And I made a point of going back to him and saying, like, by the way, like, this is what happened as a follow-up because, like – I don't want my experience to be repeated. Like if someone is asking you for testing, like please give them the testing or explain to them, as you were saying, like, well, if you've been using condoms, if you only have one partner, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think that, you know, that's the, I guess that was the educator in me, can't help it, control freak as well, like going back and being like, this is a teachable moment for you. Like, please learn from this. <laughs> so that it's not because I am someone that I guess I have always considered myself, and I, I'm a cis white woman, you know, I come from a place of great privilege. So I think that it's partly my job to use that privilege as well, to say like, hey, you know, you gave me a bit of a hard time here, um, like, please don't do that. So that the next person, if they come in from a place without as much privilege as I have, you know, just asking the question can be so traumatic and... To, you know, to them to be brushed off can can really damage um, someone moving forward. For me, it was always really important with when I, I guess because also I was older, once I became sexually active, I absorbed a lot of information about STDs, STIs, whatever you want to call them. And, you know, the get tested, um, informed consent, all of these conversations were things that I had heard around me and had with my friends. And so it was always so important for me whenever I was meeting a new sexual partner to say, like, my last screen was at this time, blah, 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 this is the situation, so that 
I felt that I was giving them the information that they needed to make informed consent. Yeah. You brought up a very good point of privilege and I want to, I want to backtrack a little bit because I hear often from people how brave I am, but in hearing from you, a school teacher, um, I'm called brave for being open about my status for being able to talk about it and hearing you share that you can't you, like you can't be human you have to perform at a level of perfection at a standard that i don't have to be held to that i never uh have to worry about being held to because this is what this is this is me being human i have the privilege of being human whereas you're demonstrating bravery in dying down or uh and dimming down your humanness for the sake of maintaining this high standard of what other people expect from you as a teacher so you're the brave one for being able to navigate that space and speaking to the privilege thing like i do have this privilege of being able to be open and it not impacting my income or it not uh i, I don't have to worry about any sort of stigmatization that is going to affect my career so i'm privileged you're brave so for the people who are able to withhold their uh who they are and that, those elements of vulnerability like we we praise vulnerability but how much praise do we give to people who withhold their personalities in certain you know settings for the sake of the quote greater good and i want to acknowledge that from you as well as other teachers because like now i didn't know that this was something that was part of the system where you're not able to uh disclose that or uh, you have herpes or um even if it slips out like i can only imagine the tragic responses from the powers that be in the event that it's heard or discovered that you do in fact have an sci or scd so um i don't i don't know how to give any advice or guidance to people who are deathly afraid of being found out even if by a friend or a partner uh that they have herpes and here you are someone in like this is your career and you have consequences to face so i'm struggling to figure out how to navigate this discussion for the sake of the people that come to me later who are like no one can know about this because like what do i do oh i i would like to say um like please don't be for the people listening please don't be afraid to disclose like your professional environment is not necessarily your personal environment and for me um I've been, I, I probably just close to about, oh, I don't even know. Yeah. It's now like I, um, or potential partners. It was because I was on dating apps and stuff. Like I just got to a point where I was like, okay, if we're going to meet up, but you know, I'd either, normally I would try to meet up with the person in person, um, and have a conversation as part of like first date and just be like, Hey, by the way, I have herpes type two. So that means that sometimes I can't have sex. Um, you know, in the same way that some people view periods and period sex, you know, it might just be a couple of days where it's off the menu, like that sort of thing, basically. Um, I was really lucky after my first relationship, um, the first 
first guy that I told, you know, where I was getting a bit serious. We were um, making out on the beach. It was very romantic. It was a nice evening date. And I sort of went, oh, wait, before we go any further, I have something that I need to tell you. And he sort of went, oh, my gosh, like, what's wrong? And I said, oh, I have HSV type 2, and, you know, this is what it means. And he just looked at me and he went, are you on medication? And I was like, yeah, I'm on antiviral medication to um, make sure that it sort of suppresses everything because I had to go on to suppressive therapy. Um, my first year with HSV2 was absolutely horrendous. I had a breakout every month for a year. And I was just like, this is going to be the rest of my life. I'm going to be in pain forever. And I just want to say if there's anyone listening that's in that situation and the doctors are saying to you, oh, you know, it does ease off eventually. I promise you it actually does. Um, the fact that I was so stressed about having HSV just exacerbated my symptoms because being stressed and run down are my personal triggers. So being stressed about it all the time sort of made it this perpetuating cycle. But I honestly, um, until last night when I fell down an Instagram wormhole, I haven't thought about my, fa- my HSV for... I don't know, maybe eight months. I think that was because I was talking to a doctor and they were like, do you have, oh, oh yeah, I have HSV. Like it's not a part of my life day to day anymore. But this this um, person who I just close to, he was like, are you on medication? I said, yep. He goes, great, can I go back to making out with you now? And that was the whole conversation. Like he just did not give a shit. <laughs> and it was the best, most freeing thing. Um, in contrast, I've had people, where and I, I've learned as well sometimes I've let things you know move a bit too fast and maybe some clothes are off and I go wait wait before we continue I need to tell you this thing um, and I've had some people sort of go oh I don't feel comfortable then you know maybe having penetrative sex or whatever we might do something else and that's totally fair that's their choice and I would always go oh yes because like thank you for still seeing that I'm worthy to do so anything with whereas now I think I would go hey that's cool that's your choice but I'm just going to call it because I know that having a limited menu, um, I guess for lack of a better word, makes me feel like shit, like, because it's kind of like, oh yeah, you're good enough for this and this, but not that and that. And I've had enough partners now that they just want the whole thing, that I don't need to settle for less than that. (sighs) Um, and my current, my current partner is my fiance. And I actually said to him as I was preparing for this, I said, we haven't talked about my herpes for ages. And he's like, uh, no. And I said to him, well, like, how do you feel about it? We've been together for a few years now. And um, he said, I feel about it how I've always felt about it. It's a non-issue in our relationship. It was something that I needed to know about you as I was getting to know you. Um, He has a physical disability. And he said to me, in the same way that I needed to tell you that I had a physical disability, you know, you needed to tell me this. Now, in no way are they actually like on the same level, <laughs> but it just means that we both sort of are like, oh yeah, well that's a thing about you, cool. Like, kind of, um, you know, in the same way that someone might be like, oh, I really don't like being kissed on the neck. Oh, okay, cool. I know that about you now. Like, it's just such an non-issue. And in terms of friends finding out about it, um, I have disclosed to my sister, and she was like, 
cool, but I feel weird that I'm talking to you about your sex life. And I was like, that's fair. Um, and then I, one of my friends, I used to, um, this is very old school of me, but I religiously held on to the pamphlet that they gave me at the sexual health clinic that was like, basically, you know, like that you have herpes, what's next kind of brochure. <laughs> and I would disclose to partners and then like give them the brochure, like, you go because it had all of these websites and links and everything in it um, that would answer the questions way better than I would at the time. And my friend was looking for a phone charger one day and came across the brochure and she was like, so um, I saw something in your room and I can't unsee it. And I was like, okay, yep, we're going to talk about this now. And um, it was fine. Like she actually had been very open our whole friendship about having herpes anyway so I don't know why it was a huge thing but for me I had this stigma between HSV 1 and 2 so I was like well yeah she, but she gets cold sores on her mouth and everyone gets that whereas like I get genital herpes and that's so much worse and it's like I don't know why I was being so elitist about it it's the same thing <laughs> like, you know? so um yeah if there are people that are thinking like oh my gosh I could I can never tell anyone because I'll get fired and all these horrible things will happen and the world will burn. Like, I'm sorry, but people don't care that much about your junk. Like, in the grand scheme of things, they really don't care. Um, And I think that I can't disclose it in my workplace, more so because sharing facts about my sex life is inappropriate. Like, in the same way that... I can't rock up to school and just be like, oh, hey, guys, like, what do you think about S&M? Like, you know, you just, you just, there's just certain things you can't chat about with students. It's inappropriate. So like, um, I'm probably not going to include talking to them um, about, you know, establishing a safe word when I'm teaching them about sex. And I'm probably not going to say, oh, by the way, I have herpes and you can catch it even if you wear condoms. But I can say, you know, make sure that you're educated about the different forms of STIs. There are STIs that can be contracted even if you are using, like, barrier forms of contraception. And it is important to make sure that you have done the research on this. You know, so it's about wording things in a way that's appropriate for the setting that you're in. And, yeah, I think most of us, apart from people like yourself who have made this partly your career, you know, most people don't go into work and in the staff meeting go like, oh, yeah, like had some amazing sex on the weekend, everyone. Like it's just not something we talk about in professional settings um, unless your professional setting is in sex work or um, the sexual health space. So, yeah, don't don't be afraid to tell people because at the end of the day, you know, for most people, if they're your friend, like, they're going to go, okay, cool, like, I'm your friend and that's one more thing I know about you. And if someone uses that as an excuse to not be your friend anymore or to not want to date you anymore, that I just see that as a good way of weeding out people that are not worth your time because, like, herpes is not the world-crushing thing that it feels like it is when you first get that diagnosis. But what if it is like what if it was something more serious? You know, what if you were saying to them like, I have, you know, some kind of cancer or something? If you want people who are going to say, okay, cool, like 
ask the questions if they have questions and then be there to support you if you need it. So, you know, if someone's going to go, oh, I don't think I want to be your friend anymore. What if I share your toilet seat and get an STD? Well, firstly, I would say to them, that's a really good question and I will answer it and you're not going to get it and, you know, educate yourself and not shame them for having a question. But also I would say, if you're still judging me after I've educated you, you can leave. <laughs> so. All right. I have one more <laughs> question for you and that's uh, in regards to the statement sexual health is mental health. What does that mean to you? Oh my God, it's so true. I really spiraled when I was first diagnosed. I um, ended up actually after my first couple of really positive experiences, I think after the first time someone said to me, oh, no thanks, when I just closed, I got really angry at the world and I guess in a weird way, like at myself, but having this thing and so I took so many sexual risks you know I just had completely unprotected sex for like well over a year of my life and I'm so fortunate that um I didn't end up with an unwanted pregnancy or something along those lines um I did however at some point along the line uh, get HPV um, which my doctor didn't, I just, just told that I'd had a weird pap smear and, and then my next doctor, when I've moved towns was like, oh, well that's because of your HPV. And I was like, oh, do I have HPV? And they're like, yeah. Oh, okay. That to me, HPV wasn't a diagnosis that freaked me out too much. Although it has actually caused me more health concerns later on. Like I've just had to have a procedure called a let's procedure, um, after having a couple of others called colposcopies that has been mentally draining for me because um again it feels like secret women's business i guess in a way i found that when i have disclosed to friends and co-workers even though i'm having this procedure i reckon four out of five of them you know have said oh i've had that and it's fine but again it's not something that's openly discussed um so yeah for me it led to a spiral. It led to these potentially destructive behaviours. And I was fortunate that it led, you know, it only led to, I did get chlamydia as well, but it was caught early and treated. Um, and, you know, I think that I'm very fortunate that I didn't harm myself in any other way. Like, you know, more more mentally, as I said, I, I didn't have... Um, suicidal ideations but I felt like I deserved to be punished for something and I hadn't done anything wrong so um it, it took a long time for me to actually have that love for myself again to care for myself again to be in a healthy place and I also um actually ended up with a diagnosis of anxiety and depression which was partly linked to this and partly linked to other stuff but I think that in the long term, actually experiencing having herpes and going through the internal process of God, like processing all of that stigma and feeling that self-hatred for a while and then trying to punish myself and doing all of these things and then also having the experience of 
physical symptoms of anxiety, which I thought I understood anxiety before I had it. I didn't. I tried to, but yeah, I didn't. Um, I didn't understand how physical it was. I thought it was more mental. Um, I think that all of these things have actually made me a better, more empathetic person who is more willing and able to listen to other people, to um, meet them where they're at and not where I want them to be, to be able to actually just be with them and and try to hear what they are saying and not necessarily leap in with a, well, I'm the same, I'm the same, you know, um, but to just actually genuinely care for people. I think that sexual health absolutely is mental health um, in that I have managed to counsel some friends through um, their own experiences with STDs, their own experiences of feeling, you know, that all of that stigma on them and saying to them, hey, like I have one and I'm okay. And them going, oh my God, okay, like it is all right sort of thing. Um, also, you know, being able to coach friends into actually being brave enough to go and seek medical treatment. You know, I, I had a friend who ended up needing some surgery um, and it, it took a, a lot for them to go to the doctor um, to um, ask about what was going on with them. And so I think that seeing how much better they feel after that treatment for the physical side effects, how much better they are mentally is just, it's, it's beyond compare and I think that also you know if you are someone who is living with pain which STDs can give us um you know it's you can't underestimate the impact that that has on your mental health pain is exhausting and debilitating and you shouldn't be living with pain if you're living with pain please go to the doctor please get it treated because it will help your mindset if you're not constantly in pain as well so yeah I think that that's really why I landed on your podcast because I one of the first things I heard you say was sexual health is mental health and I just went that just rings so true to me and you know I think that it's so important and I think like physical health is mental health mental health is health so yeah all right, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you sharing this with me. We got 90 seconds left <laughs> of audio, so I'm going to go ahead and close this out here. Uh, stay on for me, and we can talk a little bit after to just see how you feel about the recording and all. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, subscribe to, share this podcast with whoever you can. And uh, again, we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization taking donations to aid our efforts in being able to get people therapy and connected to the mental health resources that they need in order to navigate their diagnosis, navigate stigma. Um, there's a lot of good things going on going into this new year. Um, I remember 2019, you know, we raised $1,200 and here we are in 2021, well, 2022 now. And I just finished up the 2021 financials and we raised 26,000. So, um, things are being done right. And the people who have the privilege of being able to support 
please continue to do so and wherever you feel safe to do so continue to leave those reviews and share this podcast where you feel most comfortable to if you want to interview i'm always looking for guests so just don't hesitate to reach out you can connect with me on instagram at h on my chest i'm also on tiktok at courtney w brain my venmo cash app for donations is courtney brain all one word just my first and last name Till next time, stay sex positive.